We finished up a series last week, The Pharisee in Me, and it actually tied into the, the series for this month. So the beginning, the end of last month's series is the beginning of this month's series. And uh, guys, do we have the, I sent the, all right, very good. So we, we were looking at the Pharisee in me um, last month, and we were talking about, you know, how we can be judgmental, how we can um, be self-righteous, and, and, and then we also then came into where one of the quickest ways for a Pharisee, uh, where when we become that Pharisee, the, one of the first things that we're going to lose is the heart of worship, and last week we really talked about um, that heart of worship. But what was interesting is originally I had wanted to preach this, this month on the three ma- the biggest problems in the American church today. I mean, to boil it down to three is pretty tough. I'm just saying. But when I began to look at the church as an overall, overall giving, when you talk about money, everybody gets upset, Right? But when you start looking statistically, there's 4,000 churches shutting down every single year because they can't pay their own electricity bill. The other part is our devotional lives that we typically in the world today, we're too busy to spend time with God on a regular basis. So we try to wrap all of our God time on a Sunday morning. That's a problem. And then the other part is sharing our faith. Well, what's interesting is that God put all of those in this one. Um, One of the things that I want to say before we get started into the Word today is um, last week was so neat to listen to all of you guys sing. You know, we have a, a full band, but you see that we're not doing it as we have in the past, and it's just one of the things the the heart of the song heart of worship is going to kind of be our theme throughout this month and it talks about how we're stripping it all away and you know what's amazing is it might have felt awkward to you because we're used to being our voices are typically drowned out by all the other instruments have you guys ever noticed that is you can't hardly hear yourself because you hear everything else and what's so amazing is that when you take all those other things away it was really beautiful to hear the choir of living water. It was really awesome. So we're going to keep doing some of that. So um, it'll get less and less uncomfortable for you and you'll get louder and louder and it'll be more and more exciting. But today's message was actually inspired by a song that we're going to be singing later on in the service, Christ Be Magnified. And in this song, it talked about how, uh, talked about the altar of our life. And it just took me to Romans chapter 12. So we're going to spend our time in Romans chapter 12 today. But I want to share this. This series on worship, getting back to the heart of worship, we're going to talk about how worship is fulfilling the great commandment. And our definition that we've been using for worship all along is my expression of love unto God. That's our, that's our definition. Um, and, and so I want to, the objective that I want us to begin to see last week and into this week and into next week is to, show, to, to see how our worship is all about fulfilling the great commandment. And, and Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your, your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, strength. I mean, so when we get into looking at the greatest commandment, we're to love God with everything that we are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to love God with our body, how to love God with, and, and when we say love God with, right, that's worship. 
Worship is my expression of love. So I'm going to, to learn how to worship God with my heart, worship God with my mind, worship God with my soul, worship God. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on the next couple of days or the weeks. And, uh, and so last week, we really did focus of, oh, I forgot to put the verse on there. My, my apologies. But anyways, all right, read it fast. So <laughs> last week, we focused on the heart of worship, to love God with all of my heart. We... we, we looked at these Pharisees, and these Pharisees had full hands and empty hearts. And so one of the things that we really focused on was this. We place, often we place a greater importance to serving the church than worshiping God. Everybody hear me? I will. Thank you. Good idea. We place a greater importance to serving the church than worshiping God. It is so easy to get so caught up in the service that you're supposed to do than the actual purpose of why we came. Why did we show up today? Did we show up to, to be a security? Did we show up to play an instrument? Did we show up because we get to sing a song and lead? Did we show up because I had to teach a Sunday school class? Did I show up because I I had to be in the gathering well? Did I show up because I had to be in the nursery? Because if those are the reasons that we're showing up is because I'm on the schedule and I have to, or my wife makes me come, right? Or or I got to show up um, uh, because it's the right thing to do, or I got to punch my card, right, to show God that I'm here, then we're showing up for all, then we're showing, we're the ones, if that's any of us in this room, then we're showing up with full hands and an empty heart because we're showing up for the wrong reason. If my reason isn't because I absolutely, unequivocally, undividedly want to worship and praise God, then you're here for the right reason. And if you're not here for the right reason, let's get that fixed today. So today's title is the mind of worship. So if we're going to worship God with all of our, love God with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, if we're going to do that, we're going to, so the main focus of where we're going to end this is really focusing on the mind. But if we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, we start with the body. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship so let me let me dive into this so the first part of this is this uh, and I like when I, I I do this for some for many reasons is that I want when I read the Bible one of the things that I love doing is by I have to do a lot more slides this way but it allows you to see things that grab my attention when I'm reading this verse you know I urge you Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that was the first thing that really jumped out of me is this, in view of God's mercy. So I need to define what mercy is. Mercy is God's concern, care, or compassion towards his people. And guess what? We're his people. So in other words, this is my view of his mercy towards me. So in view of God's mercy, what he's saying is this, in you, as you, if you were looking at this saying, I'm going to speak this. So my view, in, in my view of God's mercy towards me, now I'm going to go on to the rest of the verse, right? So if we, if we don't, how many of you here today would say, God has absolutely been merciful to me, right? 
So what I want you to do for just a moment is I want you to picture maybe there's some, uh, some, some things that have happened along the way where you know there was a moment where God was absolutely merciful to you. I want you to find that moment right now, just, just real quick. Find the most merciful moment that you can think of that God had for you. Think about it. You, you, you could go back to the day you were saved or something recent say, man, I was really in a bad place and God had mercy on me. But I want you to picture it right now in your mind, in your heart. Put it there. Now in view of that. You see what I'm saying? So a lot of times when we read the scripture, we just read it and we don't personalize it to us at all. Now we can't take it out of context of what it is because that's wrong. But what I'm wanting you to do is say, if I'm going to look at God's mercy, I want to make that personal. God, in view of the mercy you've had for me. So God, you were merciful here. So in view of that mercy you had on me, here's what's next. You guys following me, right? If we don't get this part, we're not going to get the rest of it. All right, very good. All right, so second part. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer. So now that I see God's mercy for my life, now I'm in response. Do you hear me? In response. Everybody say in response. I want to make sure you're following me. Because if we're going to study the Bible, we've got to, we've got to dig in, right? We can't just skip over it real fast. So, so here's the deal. We're only looking at two verses today. In view of God's mercy, so God, I see your mercy for me, so now out of response for that, I'm going to offer, I, me, I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice. Hmm. That's worship. We're going to get to there. So I want you to understand the word living, zeo, in Greek, zeo, it means your physical, natural life. He's not speaking of like, I'm offering my, my spiritual life. He's, you're offering you, you sitting there your physical living body you're offering that as so you're offering your living natural life body okay as a so a living sacrifice the word sacrifice in greek is thysa and it means to to a sacrificial offering it's referring to the biblical concept of you're offering something up to god so he's saying is you're offering yourself so i am to offer myself Everybody following me, right? So, like I put in here is to offer my body, one aspect of fulfilling the great commandment to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body. So I'm offering myself. I'm offering my physical, living body to God. See, a lot of times we just want to say, well, man, it would be so much easier if fulfilling the great commandment was just a verbal transaction of words. God, I love you. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? And I wouldn't have to offer my body. I wouldn't have to offer my heart. I wouldn't have to offer all of these other things. I would just be able to say, God, I love you. High five it out. Yeah. But God is saying, I want you to understand loving him with everything that we are is so much deeper than what we often give it credit for. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask another question here. What state am I to offer myself? I want you to see this. Same verse. You see how the highlight keeps moving down? I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So what state am I offering myself in? So if I'm going to offer myself, what kind of person am I to be when I'm offering myself? You see what I'm saying? Is It's not saying, hey God, here's me. I will be. It's saying, God, I'm going to, I'm, listen, I'm going to separate myself from the world. So when we think about what the word holy, the word holy means, hagos, and it means to be set apart, consecrated, or dedicated. 
I want, I want to camp out right there for a minute. Are we dedicated followers of Jesus Christ? Are we doing this as a just convenience? You see, when I'm saying holy is not just like walking around, that's not a word we just throw around because the angels in the book of Revelation, they repeated a statement over and over and over. For all eternity, these angels are going to be repeating a statement. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God ain't playing around with holiness. To be holy is to be separate from everything else, to be consecrated, to be dedicated. And I think a lot of times we Americans really have a lot of issues with being dedicated. Don't we? We're too busy to be dedicated. We're dedicated to everything else. Come on. We, we, oh, we can be dedicated to the chiefs. Sorry, that was a low blow. My bad. I, I tick, tick, deleted you could be dedicated to the eagles? <laughs> That's even worse. My bad. Okay, so, but don't, I mean, look at it. The American culture that we live in, we are dedicated to so many things. We're dedicated to get our kids to practice. We're dedicated to going to kids' games. We're dedicated to go to all the extracurricular activities that are in life, but we aren't dedicated to God himself. Kids, we're dedicated to go to every single practice in a week for your sport, but you're not dedicated to get up and read your Bible every day? So how can I offer myself when I'm not offering myself? Do you get what I'm saying? Now we're getting somewhere. How can I say, God, thank you for the mercy. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for not sending me to hell when I deserve to go to hell. God, I'm giving everything. I'm dedicating my life to you. That's what holiness is. God, I'm dedicating me. I, I'm all yours. I'm all in. See, I can't offer my body if I'm not dedicated to offering my body. When you offer your body, you're saying, God, I'm in. I'm giving you my time now. I'm, I'm going to sit down with you. God, you're more important than these other things that I've got going on. The, all these things in your life are stealing time from you, and you now don't have time to give yourself to God. So, you, so God gave you all this mercy, and I want you to think about it. How much mercy has God given you? How much? Right? You think about how much mercy God has given you in your life? But I don't have time what I always hear I'm so busy then stop it you control that so I am to offer myself holy and pleasing to God what's amazing is this word holiness is actually one of the greatest attributes of God and if not the center attribute and what I mean by this is this Everything that God does is holy, because holy means set apart. His love is holy. There's no other love like it. His justice is holy. There's no justice in the world like it, right? His mercy is holy. No one has mercy like him. His grace is, you give, his forgiveness is holy. His redemption is holy, because holy means set apart from everything else in the world. Everything God does is set apart. Everything he is is holy, everything and he says i i'm not asking you cheyenne or 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 you mike 
I'm not asking you, Paul, to be holy, 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 because that's the Lord God Almighty. I'm asking you to be holy. Can you do that? I'm not asking you to do that three times. I'm not, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, can you just, can you just be holy? Can you set yourself, could you set yourself apart from the world for me? That's what God's asking. He's not even asking, he's commanding. It's an imperative in Greek. He's saying, here's what I, I, I saved your soul. I, I, I sent my son to die on the cross for you. I, 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 I'm willing to forgive your sin. I'm willing to give you eternal life. Now you, in view of all that I've done for you, give yourself to me. I don't want you to give yourself holy, though. I want you to set yourself apart from the world, and that's the version of you I want. Huh? Isn't that, is that not powerful? I mean, if you're not, if you're not being moved now, we'll check your pulse later. <clears throat> so, he then goes on, and our last view of this, then he goes on and he says, okay, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know what's kind of amazing about this is the word true and proper is logikos. Both times. So if you're like going through a word search in the NIV, ASV, um, ESV, a whole bunch of them, um, you'll see true and proper or two words going back and forth. It's logikos, logikos. Same word, used twice. Maybe it's to emphasize something. Maybe there's some importance here that we need to emphasize. Logikos is maybe pretty important. And, and, and so in the, new, in the New King James, or the King James says reasonable acts of certain, reasonable logikos, okay? So logikos is this word, right? So we use, we use this word. So it, logikos is an adjective, and it means this, to reason, reason, right? To reason or Oh, wait, here we go. Logically, logos, where we get the word logic. I'm reasoning with truth, but not just truth, biblical truth. Every time you see logos as a noun, it's referring to God's word. Logos. Everybody, if you got a logos in the room, hold up your logos. Right? Cool, right? So whenever we see the word logos, it's talking about God's word, right? So, so what he's saying is this is your, your logos. This is, so let me put it all into a statement for you, okay? So <clears throat> my logical response, oh wait, I do have it a slide. I'll put it a slide up, my bad. So, as I've already said, worship is your expression of love towards, and I just added the word merciful God to kind of tie it in together. Here's, if we're going to take everything that we've learned up to this moment and put it into a sentence, here we go. My logical response to God's mercy is fully offering my body as a sacrifice of worship to God. We get that? My logical response, if I'm going to think about this, my logical response to God's mercy is to offer my body as a sacrifice of worship unto God. Completely set apart from the rest of the world. Well, let's go on talk about this. Let's go a little bit deeper here. We're about to have some fun. Or before, well, before we go any further... 
we need to have a contract between you and I. That no matter what comes out of my mouth next, that we promise to be friends. All in favor of being friends after my mouth gets done flapping, raise your hand. So we're all going to be friends, even if it hurts your toes. All right? Okay. All right? We, I mean, honestly, because I can't, I, what happens is a lot of times we, we think it's personal. This sermon was written before, like, Wednesday. And just the final details, the slides I work on Thursday and Friday and email it to the guys, sometimes on Saturday. But, like, the gist of everything, that happens early in the week, and then sometimes we think, well, man, he's chasing after me. No, maybe it's God trying to get your attention, okay? Because it's not personal. I don't have time to worry about personally offending 250 people (laughs) that would be a lot to try to figure out how to to offend everybody in a message but the truth can sometimes be offensive the bible says in romans 12 2 now it says this do not conform to the pattern of this world i want you to understand that in the scripture this is not a new paragraph it's connected to the same paragraph so what are we still talking about worship we're still talking about our act of worship it hasn't changed a lot of times we move right on and just act like this isn't still talking about the same thing as we were talking about in verse one so now he's saying is this now when i've offered my body as a living sacrifice this is my spiritual act of worship so now that i'm worshiping god now he says do not he gives a command right out of the gate do not conform to the pattern of this world so the word, uh, so I put it on the here on, in white, right, on the white part of the slide, conform, okay, um, that's Greek, so you guys try it out. Everybody, I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say that word together, ready? One, two, three. You guys are terrible at Greek, it's good that you know English. All right, so, all right, so, so this is to shape one's behavior, or to become like, having some form, so what he's saying is this, don't Don't conform, don't be like the world in their worship. That's what he's saying. Our worship should not be looking like that of the world. Well, then we're like, well, we don't sing the same songs. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what were we offering? What were we offering? Our what? Our bodies, right? Aren't we offering our bodies? That's what we're talking about. So me offering my body to God is what's supposed to be what? holy and pleasing so my my bodily actions as a living person should be holy and pleasing to god that is my worship god i'm going to my life my body what i choose to do with my body is going to be holy and pleasing to you god that is worship through the body are we are we following right i don't want i don't want to lose anybody here okay because this is huge because all of a sudden we're like, well, hey, I'll just start listening to K-Love and now I'm on, I'm, I'm on track again. That's not, this is not talking about what, this isn't even talking about our mind yet. This is talking about your body still. It's still talking about you offering your body. And your body, the way that I'm offering my body is supposed to be holy and pleasing. Okay? All right. So here is what the world worship looks like. So I, I started getting a lot of um, through Facebook, a lot of people were sending out these, these things about the Grammys. How many of you have seen posts about the Grammys? Right? Oh, right. So I did a little bit, not a lot of research, because I just really don't want to waste my time in the Grammys to begin with. But I started thinking about how many kids, how many kids, these were different images throughout the years at the Grammys, 
at the Grammys. Like public, TV, it's okay, right? No, it's not. The world worships people over God. One of the things that I, I want to do is I want, I, I, want, I want you to understand that our young people are idolizing famous people. And they think these famous people are amazing. And then these famous people are acting like absolute fools. If I just can be honest, they're just absolute fools. And our kids love it. There was a, a, a song that everybody did. A, what is that? Was it the Copper Road song? And then the same dude did another song about Satan worshiping him. You know, and, and then, he, then all these parents were upset because all these kids were going to his concerts. And he goes, well, you're, you're the ones that made the mistake by having me as your kid's role model. Absolutely, I agree. Our parents should be watching a little bit more carefully on what their kids are listening to. Because this is the activities of some of those people. And they may not think of themselves as actually worshiping Satan because they're putting on a performance, but right now they're showing the whole world that it's acceptable. So the world worships hobbies over God. I don't know if that works, but we're going to try it today. Okay, here we go. I love hunting. I love fishing. I am a hobbyist, love hobbies, all right? And I use the word love on purpose because I do. I love, I love hunting. There's a fine line between loving to do something and it becoming an idol. I'm going to show you today how a lot of the things that we do in our life are closer to being idols than just a thing we do. So hunting, fishing, golfing. I don't know if anybody golfs, but anyways, etc., 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 etc. Remember, my son used to always tell me, he said, Dad, I asked him, I said, what's an idol? And he goes, anything you put before God, anything, anything you put before God is an idol. Okay? So I started thinking about how often, I, I know what happens every opening week of deer season. Oh, I, yeah, oh I'm going there. Like you, you already made a promise with me that we're friends after this, so I'm going there. How many people skip out? How many people leave church early because I don't get done at noon and they want to go home and watch DVR the game? But we will walk out or not even show up because of an opening day. What do you think that says to God? I mean, if he, he sees it, he knows it. It's not like he, he knows everything. So here's another thing I began to look at. The average American spends $3,586 per year on their hobbies. That comes out to $297 a month. Because a lot of times they don't do it on a monthly basis. They just do big, huge chunks. Ask any hunter's wife. I'm just, you can go ask my wife. Because I'm not denying this. But I looked at just the average American, what do they spend on their hobbies? That's a lot of money, isn't it? When we start thinking about that. Let me go on further. The world worships technology and entertainment over God. Phones, TVs, movies, TV series, Netflix, I don't know, subscriptions, you know, the Hulu, all of these things. And so now everybody's like, well, I'm, you're not using my Hulu today. Listen. 
Somebody's going to say, Pastor, everyone has these things. I'm not saying they don't. And I'm not saying because you have them, it's an idol. What I'm telling you is that we need to understand and begin to work on understanding if this is close to being an idol or if, do I still have this under control. Because I'm going to be able to show you how this works in just a minute when everybody's going to get actually mad at me. So the short answer to how do I know when things are becoming an idol is just a simple answer of three things. How much time do I give it? How much money do I give it? And how much devotion do I give it? Well, now we see where this is going. You guys are really quiet today. Thank you. All right, so do I give God more time than what I give my phone, entertainment, the TV series, that whatever I'm watching? So the average American time that they're on just the phone this isn't talking about your tv on how much it's, it's just talking about this thing right here the average american spends three point three hours and 15 minutes per day per day three hours 15 minutes per day that's 22 hours a week that's a part-time job that you're not getting paid for. A part-time job. Think about this. How much time are your kids missing out on you because you got your phone right there three inches from your face? How much time does your spouse not get from you because you're on your phone? How much time do we spend on the toilet because of our phones? <laughs> you're all laughing because you know what I'm saying. Like toilet time, come on, it doesn't take that long. Okay, so do you give God more money than you give your phone bill, internet, subscription, your TV? Uh, hold on, listen to this. All right. There's no exit. We're going to talk to Gary about putting an exit out this back door with like a chute that goes straight down. A slide for the pastor to escape. The average phone bill is $127. Now, most of you sitting in here going, oh, mine's higher than that. Right? Don't, don't raise your hands. But I want you to think about that. The average phone bill is $127. I know mine's higher than that. Internet is, the average internet bill is, the average American spending $64 on that cable or subscriptions. Because what happens, people say, well, I'm saving money. I'm saving money now by going to subscriptions. No, they're actually spending more. Cable was $66, the average, and $86 on subscriptions. So a lot of people say, well, I'm saving my money by going to subscriptions. Are you? Make sure you add all those subscriptions up. $277 per month. Why do I say all this? See, an idol demands your time, money, devotion. So if we take the hobbies, right, 297, and the technology, 277, and you add those together, the total is $574 a month you're spending on those types of things. Does God get that from you? That's God ringing a bell. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> Pretty soon, it's so quiet in here right now, the crickets are going to go off. And we're going to hear the crickets in this building. That's hard, isn't it? Looking at that. And you're, you're right now, some of you are sitting there kind of doing the math. Maybe it's not that much. Maybe it's a little bit less than that. But now you're all, all of a sudden, a lot of us are sitting in this room going, I haven't gave anything to God, but I'm giving the world all kinds of stuff. You've made monthly commitments to the world and its entertainment, and we won't even make commitments to God. <clears throat> To make matters worse, <laughs> the average American makes $6,228. That is not in Missouri. Why do I bring this up? Because if we're going to talk about what we give to the world, we've got to talk about what we give to God, right? We make all these monthly commitments to all of these things that, that add up, these subscriptions, our phone bills, all of these things. But we don't give God regularly who saved our soul from the pit of hell. So my question to you is, how do you think God thinks about that? See, this isn't about money. It's really just about us going, do I have some idols in my life? Because I'm pouring all kinds of money and commitment into this. I'm committing my time. Three hours I'm committing to my phone every day. And I'm committing, I'm committing you know, maybe up, up, upwards to $570 a month on this stuff. So I'm tithing. $574 a month and the average American makes $6,000. That's really close, isn't it, to 10%. So the average family is giving 10% of their income to their phones, to internet, to TV sources, subscriptions, to their hobbies, to all of these things. And you know what? Do you guys even want me to tell you how many members, like the, the, the how many members tithe in a church? I mean, you could look at the slide behind me, but so I don't actually have to tell you to make it worse, right? It feels worse when the pastor says it. That only 10 to 25% of the church members, that's not people who are checking the church out. If you're a visitor, I'm not sorry to speaking the truth, but if you're a member, that's a whole different story. This is talking about membership, people who have said, I am committed to being a part of this faith family. Only 10 to 25% of people who, are, and we're not talking about kids, we're talking about adults that have jobs. Only 10 to 25% actually give on a, this is not even tithing, not even 10%. We're just talking about giving on a monthly basis, $5 a month. We're just talking about somebody who gives monthly, regularly, something. Because a long time ago, they stopped doing the statistics on how many actually tithe because it was really depressing. In fact, it goes on to say that the average church member gives $17 a week, $73 a month. That's half of your phone bill and God's getting half of what you put on your phone <sighs> right you following me you guys remember you promised to be my friend it's tough isn't it and do you know what even worse that I don't have on the slide for you those who are actually where almost all of this percentage is coming from is those who are 65 and above. 
those who are 65 and above are actually keeping the churches alive because the younger people don't give at all. <laughs> like Mike's like, amen, yeah, bring it home. You just told everybody your age. So that's that what I was more amazed at. Is like, <laughs> see, I want you to, I want you to hear me. Four thousand churches shut down every single year, and it's not because they're not preaching the word of God. It's because their members don't give. When you can't pay your bills, what happens if you stop paying your house bill? You lose your house. It's really actually quite simple. If you stop paying your electricity bill, your electricity gets shut off. It's the same thing that happens in the church. And what I'm saying is this, is if we will give such, and I don't, I don't we, this isn't about money at all. What this is completely about is the fact that I'm going to say, God, I love you, but I'm not really going to offer myself to you. We want to say that we worship God through a song. And worship is more than any song we could ever sing. Worship is the essence of everything that I have unto a living and loving and merciful God who could have sent me straight to the pits of hell and he didn't. And instead he saved my soul, he forgave my sins, he redeemed me, he gave me a new name, he made me his child. And I won't even give him $17 a week. It's a hard issue. That's what we got to get back to. What is real worship? If we think that worship is the music portion of a service, then we don't know anything about worship. Worship is, God, I love you. With all of my heart and with all of my soul, my mind, my body, my strength. God, I love you more. I love you most. But we don't show him that. We, I got to get to the next slide. All right. Moving along, we've spent enough time there. You're like, man, beating a dead dog there. All right, so Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We talked about the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word transformed here is metamorphume, and it means to change or transform. And this, this would be a great illustration, would be a caterpillar to a butterfly. Metamorphous, right? This would be a great example. So what happens is he's saying this, don't be like the world, but be changed. The change, the caterpillar doesn't become a butterfly overnight. So the changes in your life don't happen overnight. It is a constant change. God keeps changing you and changing you and changing you. That's why I always tell people, give God all you have one year, and then you look back after that year and tell me you don't want to do another. Seriously, you go all out one year, give him everything you've got, and see if he doesn't change you, transform you, and bless you, and give you a joy that you didn't know before, a love that you never had before. All of those things. And all of a sudden you come back a year later, sign me up for a whole bunch more of those. So, 
So when we talk about being transformed in the mind, right, we're still talking about worship. We haven't changed subjects. Still dealing with offering my body. But now he's talking about not just my body, but now he's talking about my mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I gave my heart. I gave my body. Now I'm going to give God my mind. Young people, you tell me how you can listen to secular music all day long and have given God all of your mind. Not just the young people. What about you adults? And I'm not saying that it's a sin every time you listen to a secular song. Every once in a while I like a little journey and don't stop believing and, you know, head vomit and, you know, just having a little bit of, you know. But the thing is, is that if my mind is all, if that's all I'm doing. What, what do you have going into your mind more? So let me keep going. So transformed, and then he goes, by the renewing of your mind. I want you to understand what it means to renew. I love this. To renew your mind is an act of being made new again. Right? So when you come to God and you say, God, I've been messing up this whole, I've been conform." How many of you would honestly say, I got a little conformity to the world going on right now in my life? A lot of lies going on in this room. All right. Okay. I'll pray for you. So Here's the thing is, is that what, what, how, how amazing, don't be like the world, but renew your mind. And here's what's really cool about this in the Greek. It is a present tense. It means never ending. Present tense is a continuous habit. So don't stop renewing your mind. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And then it's also passive. It means this, God, I want that. And he does it. He's doing the work for you to change, for you to be renewed in your mind is an act of God, not you. It's not an act of you. You're not doing it. You may put the time into it. You may open the Bible up for it, but it's God doing the, the renewal in your mind. How cool is that? That it's God making my mind new again. Right? So, I want to show you some really, some, some statistics. So I have this whole thing that I had to read that I get to quote in one slide. That's what a sermon's life is like. Like a pastor's life. We get to read 23 pages of the Center of Biblical Engagement. December of 2009. Read that whole sucker, and then I get one slide with it. I'm just saying, not that I'm bitter or anything like that. So, so this, this is a really great deal because it, it, it talks about the power of four. And what do I mean the power of four is this? The pow, power of four days in the Word. So this started talking about is how many Christians, so if we talked about where your money goes, we, we, we talked about where, where you know, like the, the technology and all of that stuff, but now we're going to talk a little bit about your, your devotional life. Man, I'm like, this was going to be a three week and we're just doing it all in one day. We're all going to walk out with like bruises, black and blue. 93% of Americans own a Bible. 93% of Americans own a Bible. All right? It still remains the number one selling book every year. But only 60% of Americans read it at least one time a year. One time a year. 365 days, one time. I got it. So you're not, you're not even 93% just read one verse a year. It's only 
60% of Americans read it at least one time. Reading something, just not the Bible. 40% of Americans say that they read it at least one time a week. 25% of believers, not Americans, believers say they read the Bible regularly for direction in their lives. One out of every four believers, people who are committed to God, following God, I am a believer of God, only one out of every four of them are reading it regularly, actually looking for direction in their lives. So a byproduct of all of this, 50% of men attending church regularly are involved in pornography. Cohabitation and divorce rates in the church match that of those who do not believe in God. Eight out of every ten youth walk away from their faith by the age of 23. 80%. 80% of those kids in those rooms, in the nursery, in our youth program, statistically 80% of them will walk away from their faith by the age of 23. Tell me that we don't have a problem in our home. We got a major problem in our home, and this is where it's coming from. I want you to listen to me. Don't check out. Hold your bladder a little bit longer. Studies show that those who read their Bibles three days per week have no improvement in their lives as those who only read it once. So basically, if you read it one day a week, two days a week, or three a days a week, there is statistically no change in your life. But the moment you read your Bible four times a week, everything changes. Do you know why? In a seven-day week, it means that you're reading your Bible more than you're not reading your Bible. That's where the real change begins. You following me? Okay. For those who read their Bibles four days a week or more are 57% less likely to get drunk. 68% less likely to have sex before marriage. 61% less likely to engage in pornography. 74% less likely to gamble. Okay? As well as on the positive side of that, they are 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. When you're reading more than you're not reading, the byproduct of that is you're going to memorize some stuff. Where do you think When we get into a fight, the only way to defeat the devil is through the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. He spoke truth, defeating the devil. The problem with Christians today is we're fighting God or fighting the devil with a pocket knife. Imagine every time you memorize a verse, you add an inch to your sword. And we're walking around with little baby daggers. I want a sword so long that I can get him a mile before he even gets here. I see you. Yep, you're done. Right, wouldn't you? So reading your Bible is the byproduct of reading your Bible more than four times is is memorizing Scripture. They are 231% more likely to disciple someone. 228% more likely to share their faith. That's another area in today's church that's dying. Only 63% of believers admit to actually sharing their faith at least one time a year. When you start thinking about these things, 
Do you see the problems? When real, we want to say that, God, I love you with all of my heart, mind, body, and soul. But part of the problem that we're dealing with is that we don't love God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. We love him with a part of our mind, a part of our heart, a part of our body, a part of our soul. We're giving God, it's like, we're, we're, like we have a pie, and God, you get a sliver, a piece of this pie, but I got all these other things that are just as important as you, and your, your piece is bigger than these other pieces, but you only have a piece, and God's like, I want the whole pie. I want all of you, not just a piece of you. See, I, I put on here Jesus' great commission Unfortunately, they're the dying words of a living man. The most important mission we've ever been given is to go and share our faith and go and reach a lost world. And yet, our world is becoming more and more atheist, agnostic, worldly, liberal, and it just keeps getting worse. Why? Because we're sharing our faith less. Because more of our children are walking away from their faiths. How much longer does the American church have before the church actually gets it? Hmm. Tough, right? Like you're like, man, I'm going to go to church and be really uplifted today, and all we got was a sucker punch to the gut, right? <laughs> Here's the good news. God can change all of that. <laughs> you could be completely worshiping your phone, though you won't say it with your mouth, your time and your money say it. You could be completely worshiping your entertainment time. You could be completely worshiping your hobby. You could be completely be having all of these. And, and, and what's so amazing about God is this, is that the moment I say, God, I repent of that. Repentance is this, to change my mind about it and to change direction from it. So, God, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. And I'm all yours. That repentance is a it's a prodigal son who ran away squandered everything and then he turned around and his father met him where he was that's what's so amazing about God is that we turn around and he's there so it doesn't have to continue to go we don't we don't have to let our kids continue to go down that road we don't have to continue to walk down that road ourselves. There's a moment in our lives where we can say, God, I'm changing. God, I need your help. I'm done with that. God, I want to worship you with all of my heart, with all of my body, with all of my mind. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, 
pleasing and perfect will. If you would bow your heads this morning. As we have an opportunity to respond to God's word. As we have an opportunity to surrender ourselves. As you are growing deeper in your mind, in your understanding, in your logos of God's word. The most important aspect of any service is in its invitation. An invitation for you to respond to God and His Word. Not to me or the church, but to God. Maybe today you've learned some things about where your time and your money are going Maybe today you're realizing that He's not getting your best time with Him. Maybe you're realizing that He's getting the leftovers of your money and the leftovers of your time and the leftovers of of everything that you're offering is just a leftover. But you learned something today and now you can respond to that. Maybe today is the day where you're saying, God, here's my body. Here I am, and I'm going to put myself on this altar. And God, I haven't given you my best, but I'm going to try. And today I'm going to give you my best. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, and I'm going to do everything in my power to give you my best. And I'm going to do it every day, and I'm going to make sure that I remind myself every day to give you my best. Maybe the giving God your best. Maybe that starts today. Maybe it's, I want to be, I I have not given my marriage my best. I haven't given my kids my best. Maybe as a kid you're looking there and you haven't given God your best. The whole point is, God, I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice to you today. And I want to do this every day after. And God, I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to do what the world says I should be doing. I want to honor and please you. I want you to renew my mind. And I'm going to give you my time, my mind, my body. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if God is nudging you, then you move. You don't need to wait. The altar is open. Maybe today is just that first first point of just coming and putting yourself at the altar. Maybe this is that day that you just kneel down before Him. Here I am. I'm yours. If that's what you need to do, then come do that right now. Don't wait. You respond to Him and however He's telling you to respond. Maybe He just wants you to dedicate yourself right where you're sitting. But if he tells you to move, you move. If you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord and you know you need to give your life to the Lord and you don't know how, you come see me or one of the other pastors and we will lead you 